0: Rock and roll. We have another Build Your Legacy Masterclass with the man, the myth, legend, the mad scientist of multifamily. But for today's purpose, we're going to be calling you the mad scientist of Build to Rent because that's what we want to talk about. That and Capital raise Badass
1: badass of Build to Rent.
0: (laughs) We got the, the co host, my best friend in business. The man, the other man, myth, and legend, Andy McMullen of Legacy Acquisitions. We're not going to spend too much time introducing each other. I think a lot of us are familiar with the Built to Rent space and the listeners of the Capital Eraser show. This is going to be broadcasted to all those guys. We've got 2.5 million downloads on there. So welcome, man. But there, are, there probably is a couple of people in our audience that have never heard of you, which sounds crazy to me, Neil. But would you mind giving us a one minute introduction of who you are? And what sure.
2: you do? I am a technologist, a computer science graduate, a data scientist by profession. I've had a successful tech career, running a company for fourteen years that we exited in 2013. For ten years before that exit, I was investing in real estate, building uh, custom campuses for my company. We built six of them, and also investing in single family real estate. Since that that exit in 2013, I've been investing in real estate, initially just with a bunch of friends, and then with 950 other investors. The portfolio is a billion dollars, 70% of the portfolio is new construction, 30% of it is value-add, and we sort of like that mix, but though right now, you know, not a bad time to start picking up value-adds again, build-to-rent is something that I'm most passionate about, even though it's not the largest portion of my new construction portfolio. It's something that really catches you you know gets my attention because i see a big problem that i can help solve i'm very mission driven so hopefully we get a chance today to talk about built to rent after we talk a little bit about the market
0: yeah cool so we definitely we're gonna have some big players in the house you know welcome Vinny chopra and dinky lumba and everyone else that's joining us and the other syndicators that are going to be asking some questions in about, I don't know. We might open it up a little bit early. Like I was planning on going about forty minutes, depending on how many people show up. We might open it up for questions because I know we got some hard hitters in the room. But why don't we start with this? Like, what do you? I've seen some of your webinars. They're very powerful. You speak with conviction. I love that. One day I want to raise for you. I I saw you on Hunter Thompson's event recently, and you were like very smiley and giddy because he was creating capital raisers that we're going to work with you. And I'm going to be launching a capital raising mentorship program with Vinky, who's in the house as well. And maybe my first question should be this is like, if we're going to do this, or I should say, as we do this, like how can we create some capital raisers that help you raise capital for BTR? What do we need to tell them? And what do we need to tell the human beings out there that I love that are interested in getting into investing? Like why should they invest in BTR and not the other asset classes?
2: I think that you would need to do exactly what you do for multifamily, right? So if you think about multifamily value add, Every equity raiser that's been doing it for a while knows the spiel. They know what's the good things about multifamily, the depreciation. Everyone needs a place to live. We're not building enough assets. We're not building enough single-family. We're not building enough apartments. You know, you guys have the the, the process, right? The, let's call it the ten highlight points. Pretty much everyone that raises money for multifamily hits it. And so you have to really learn what those are for built to rent. I'll I'll give you kind of the short version of those. And as as you know, I, as Ruben mentioned. There's presentations that I've done that are just about BTR, so there's a lot more content there. But essentially, what has happened is this. So in 2009, 2010, when there were millions and millions of homes available for sale, Wall Street got into the act and a company called Blackstone which, you know, created a subsidiary, started to buy single family homes, and they ended up buying 80,000 of them. And then through another company, they ended up buying 17,000 of them. So this was the, the institutional grade SFR or single family rental business. The business was extraordinarily successful because whatever they bought over five years more than doubled in value so double you know with multifamily we never get doubling in value or almost never get doubling in value most of the time the value increases about 50% 60% and that doubles our investors money because we use leverage so imagine if you bought 80000 single family homes in 2010 and their value in 2015 was double or 2x so your investors are probably tripled your money so blackstone and a bunch there were a bunch of others blackstone being the the biggest basically went through this process. By 2015, they couldn't buy single-family homes at prices that made sense for rents. So they, they couldn't get any cash flow at all by 2015 because prices have gone, up, uh, back, gone back up. So they looked around and they said, what can we do to increase our inventory that people are selling these single-family homes at too high of a price? And so they noticed that there was this guy, his name was Christopher Todd, and this guy was in Phoenix. And they noticed that he was building something known as a horizontal multifamily. No one else had ever built anything like it. And so horizontal multifamily, which now is considered part of BTR, it's not the only part of BTR, but it's considered part of it, is basically imagine a building and that building either has one unit or two units and it's one floor. So it's a single floor. There's no garage, but there's a little backyard, right? And the front yard is kind of a walking path and you can see all the other homes, right? so your garage is somewhere on the property which it's just an open parking space right but now you live in a home and and some of the homes are by themselves and are probably two or three bedroom and some of the homes are Two, two homes attached, so you're sharing one wall, but you still got your own entrance, right? So you've got your own main door. So think of it as like a duplex model or a single family model, but no garages. The garages are basically, you know, you're parking your car somewhere. And then lots and lots of amenities, gym, pool, you know, clubhouse, all of that stuff. So he built this first one and it was like 150 units. It was a huge success because people that live there thought of it as their home. No one that I know of, no one that I know of, has an apartment that people think of as their home. Mm -hmm. That's the difference with BTR and apartments. People are in apartments because they have no choice. People who start living in built to rent within a year or two, a lot of them, not all of them start thinking, this is it. This is what I wanna be in life. This is my home and I wanna live here as long as I possibly can. That mindset change does not ever happen with apartments. We've never seen it. I own lots of apartment projects and I've never seen that happen. And so the turnover in apartments is around 51, 52% a year. So you lose half of your people every year and you refill it. The turnover in BTR properties is around 35% a year and some BTR properties are even lower. So they live there longer, even though you're raising their their rents at at about the same speed as apartment or slightly higher. So... So that was happening in 2015, 16, and so so now Blackstone had a new thing to buy. They had these horizontal communities. Then some other builders started developing townhome communities. So these were townhomes, right? So you've got usually with one car garage, though in some states like the Midwest, they had two car garages. Then some people started developing single family homes, but put a hundred of them together, put a gate around it, put a pool in the middle, and call it a single family built to rent. Now they've gone out of fashion in the last year because the cost has become too prohibitive. So now most of the single family BTR is only happening in the Midwest where land is cheap and construction is cheap. The rest of the United States is mostly focusing on either horizontal multifamily. Remember that model I told you about what Christopher Todd is doing, no, no garages, or townhomes with one car garage. So built to rent is a replacement, not for apartments, but it's a replacement for the single family home. Americans, even before COVID, had mostly lost the ability to buy single family homes because of increases in prices, right? And so, BTR, whether it's horizontal multifamily, townhomes, or single family built to rent, so there you're living in a single family home, but you're in a community where every home is rented. All three of these kinds of built to rent are really designed as a replacement for people who would have bought a single family home or would have rented a single family home, but both of those are too expensive. Now, 2020 happens and the need for BTR explodes and why does it happen, right? So here's the answer. In 2020, right before COVID, you had a certain level of income that you needed, right? To buy like a really, really crappy old starter home, right? Like you were thinking maybe one bedroom or two bedroom and the home is like 80 years old, right? You could buy that for a certain income. Between the hit, the start of COVID and today, the last three years, that amount that you needed, the income that you needed has increased by 88%, 88% in three years, right? So imagine people getting 25% annual salaries for three straight years and still not being able to afford it because 25, 25, 25 still doesn't get you to 88. So you basically needed 30% salary increases every year for the last three years. And that simply doesn't happen. So what happens is that there are about seven, eight, eight to 18 million families, depending upon whose data I pick, that are simply priced out of ever being able to buy that starter home, that 100-year-old old starter home. They can't buy it. And Rents have gone up insanely. Like in 2021 rents increased by 16% in a single year. For single family, by the way, they even increased a little more, more like 17%, right? So rents have also gone up for single family rentals. They can't afford those anymore. And so now there's this middle America, I call it middle America. These are people that make between 60 and $85,000 a year. Okay. And this group doesn't want to live in apartments. And for good reason, this is a slightly older audience than the apartment audience. And they usually have two kids or three kids and two dogs. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of hard to fit three kids and two dogs and two, two parents into an apartment. So they don't want to live there. And previously, their only option was buy a single family. Can't do that, can't afford it. Rent a single family, can't do that, can't afford it. And apartments, but now a, something exists in the middle and that's called built to rent. Built to rent is basically... 10% of new construction apartment activity let's call it 10 to 15%. so in the united states in a normal year we build 350000 apartments these are so 300000 350 is normal right now we've got overbuilding so 400000 is is coming online this year but 300 350 is pretty common number so imagine 15% of that so you're talking about you know 45000 units right mm-hmm. Currently, there are 44,000 built-to-rent units in construction. So think of built-to-rent as the top of the new construction apartment market, which is taking 15% of that new construction apartment market away, and those are going to become built-to-rent. Why not 20%, why not 30%, why not 40%? Well, the answer is price. Typically, when you're renting a townhome or renting a single-family BTR, you're gonna pay more than an apartment well, only a certain percentage of those apartment dwellers, new construction apartment dwellers can afford to pay that increased amount. So it's the top of the new construction apartment market. I expect that that with 50,000 units being built a year, we will roughly have in about 20 years, we'll have one, between 1 and 2 million BTR units. The demand is about 7 million. So I don't expect that we will even reach the demand in 20 years. And that's why I'm involved in it.
3: Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. No, this is so exciting. I think with the new model, with all these people working from homes and everything and remote and having that ownership is so important, having that ownership. And even though it's renting, but it feels like you are owning that space.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's these things, they, they don't feel like an apartment, right? I'm going to show you an example and share it on the screen. This is obviously a chat, so I, I don't want to get into PowerPoint, but it yeah. would be useful for you to see what these communities look like. And you'll instantly say, you know what? This doesn't feel like an apartment. So here's one of my communities. This is a built to rent community, it's 100% occupied. And you can see it's basically fourplex townhomes, they each have a one car garage. People yeah. are also parked in the front. And then I've got parking in the back. You'll see it in a moment. You'll see the parking in the back in the in the moment. So you really have three spaces for your car. Mm-hmm. One inside the garage, one in the driveway, and one on the side. So this is a sixplex. This is a fourplex. So there's, you know, usually when I build townhomes, these some are sixplexes, some are fourplexes. And I don't amenitize them. There's no gym. There's no, because if you buy an old single family home, do you get a gym with it? Do no. you get a pool with it? <laughs> so I don't I don't do pools. I don't do gyms. I'm not interested in those. I'm not interested in increasing the cost. I'm replacing the single-family product, so I don't do any, anything more than that. But the inside is very nice. I mean, these are very nice, nice homes. On the inside, you know, you get nine-foot ceilings. You get, you know, nice countertops. You get, you know, some granite countertops or or quartz countertops. It's not huge, right? These are about 1,300 square feet. Let me see if I can find more pictures for you. So, you know, here's a bathroom. Looks nice. These are the appliances, sort of a black steel mix. Here we go. So you can see, again, not terribly complicated. In the end, it's it's apartment plus. If you're building a Class B apartment, you'd probably put all of
1: the same stuff in there. You Neil, know, let me ask you. So you know, um, a lot of the projects that we've been building, you know, we'll have very simple, um, you know, very, very simple finishes. As you mentioned, we did get kind of a bump, really in a pool of renter, which we didn't expect, which was one of the young families, which of course we should expect, but people staying in kind of their home a little bit longer and maybe not wanting to go to a senior living, right? So we've got some, some empty nesters as well. That's right. But one thing that we're bumping up against, I think that you hit upon, and I'd love for you to elaborate a little bit, is the cost to build now, especially in light of what we're seeing with insurance, Right now, we're not competing with the same resources that we were before with built to sellers, right? Because of the interest rate. So we've got maybe our pick of the lid on the labor, but I am curious to hear like how you've adjusted your plan as costs have started to evolve a little bit.
2: Short answer is today, nothing pencils out in most metros in the United States. I don't have a good answer for you. I just have an honest one. Okay. So... I don't find projects penciling out in just about any of the boom town metros. And you can go from the the West Coast to the East Coast, you know, they're not gonna boom, you know, Phoenix is of course a very dangerous market for BTR. So there's only one oversaturated market for BTR in the country, according to all the analysts and it's Phoenix, because that's where BTR started. It's the home, you know, birthplace of BTR. And so there've been so many BTR you know, people doing stuff there that it's considered highly saturated. So other than that, if you look at all the boom towns, none of them do the numbers actually work. I mean, you can make any number work in Excel by just moving numbers, but I don't believe that they actually work because of construction costs. So I have taken the approach of only identifying properties with low property taxes and if possible, low insurance. You don't always get both of these. But if I had to get one, I would always take low property taxes over low insurance, right? Because insurance is a much bigger hit to net operating income than, in the, sorry, uh, property taxes are a much bigger hit, hit to, insure, uh, to income than insurances. So if I could take one or, one out of the two, I would always take property taxes. There are some markets that are low property tax and low insurance. And then the mandatory requirement, and you hit the nail on the head, Andy, the mandatory requirement is low cost of construction. So in boomtown metros, your vertical cost of construction is going to be 150, 160, 180, you know, per square foot. None of those numbers work, right? So you're looking for markets that where vertical cost of construction is 120, 130,
0: 135. I want to rattle off some of the things that I've heard you say on your webinars and some other built-to-rent syndicators have said. Residents stay on average 40 months versus 18 months and they pay the most and default the least of any segment and rents are rising fast. It's recession resistant. BTR will outperform other commercial real estate sectors By a mile in some cases, depending on your market, a shortage of housing, 4.4 million homes are needed, depending on what data you're looking for. There's massive demand from institutional buyers, which you have not hit on yet, Neil. I'd be very curious about hearing about how much demand there actually is and how that's driving the cap rates down if that's still going on according to you there's low maintenance on these brand new homes no maintenance for at least 10 years lucrative returns for all involved they're detached horizontal multifamily like you said where all the units are in one place it's not scattered side one property manager one leasing agents the residents get a backyard privacy fence in some cases doggy door driveway in some cases amenities and we don't have to compete this is what i kind of like and this is something that i've kind of hit on quite a bit is we don't have to compete with numerous syndicators to bid on the same property like multifamily syndicators do. And it's easy to follow other developers like DR Horton into their markets and mimic the deals that they do, you know, that they've made a bunch of money on depending on where you go. Obviously, built to rent is very different in Portland than it is in New York versus Atlanta versus Dallas versus Phoenix. We like the Southwest where land is super cheap and it's in pro-growth mode. Now, the other thing is Government. So the cities will a lot of times help us get through entitlements if we're going to the right place, and it attracts higher income tenants. Anything that I just mentioned here that you want to elaborate on, or you want to hit sure. on further? Sure. Why do we
1: need
2: him? A couple of things, right? Um, I mean, the, the list was incredible, by the way. So anyone that actually, you know, remember the first question you guys asked me, right? What should, what do people need to know to be able to tell the BTR story to their customers? I mean, that was an incredible list right there and this is a, this is being recorded. So mm-hmm. go back to what Ruben said, that list was fantastic. The, the The one piece is institutionals, right? So institutionals are very interested, but they're also very patient capital. There's no indication that currently BTR is getting lower cap rates than brand new apartments, okay? Now, a year and a half ago, it was getting lower cap rates, but as the interest rates climbed, BTR interest has remained very high, but but the institutional capital still wants to pay what they're paying for Class A apartments. They're, they don't wanna pay more. Now, that story might change again as interest rates go down over the next two or three years. I do expect it to change, but for the moment, the ability to underwrite BTR at cap rates lower than new construction apartments, mm-hmm. that ability has disappeared. You gotta underwrite them the same way, right? So that's that's one of the things that I want to point out, you know, to you. And despite what ev- everything that Ruben said, everything that Ruben said, I agree with. But the caveat is this construction cost, property taxes, and cost of insurance are the three big gorillas, mm-hmm. which in my mind, and you know, this is a personal opinion, have basically made BTR projects for the moment, today, right now unviable in at least 95% of the United States. I believe that that 95% is going to keep dropping as the Fed keeps dropping rates. And maybe two years from now, you can build them in half the United States, or maybe even more of the United States. But what is happening is that the market is so getting crowded out by these very high construction costs, very high property taxes, very high insurance, and then very high interest rates. The combination of this makes it very difficult to do BTR, just like it makes value-add multifamily difficult. It's I mean, having trouble. anyone who's Big honest trouble. Big is trouble. going to say that value-add multifamily currently is close to being insolvent, right? I see all these numbers. And while I'm extremely bullish on, on value-add multifamily, I'm patiently waiting for cap rates to further increase. They've increased a great deal. So they've gone from three and a half to five, and I'm waiting for them to go to the five and a half. The challenges that value add multifamily has that other asset classes also have, PTR has them too. You can't walk away. It's not a magic bullet. I don't find it to be a magic bullet at all. So, what we are doing is we're using data analysis to figure out those markets in the United States that have very high demand, very low construction cost, very low property cost, tax cost, and if possible, low insurance. You don't always get all of them. So the the market in the United, the, I've only found one market in the United States that checks all of those boxes off, and that's a small market called Idaho Falls. So mm-hmm. Idaho Falls has extremely low cost of insurance, extremely low cost of construction, and extremely low property taxes. So the trifecta. Now, does it have extremely low in interest rates? No, there's no place in the United States that has extremely low interest rates. But you do get local lenders there that will still give you 70% loan to cost. 70% LTC allows you to build with a lower amount of equity than, let's say, building in Austin today, you would only get 60% LTC. So you would need a lot more equity.
0: Underwriting this versus multifamily, I get that question a lot. Like, how do you underwrite this? Like, how do you figure it out? Like, what is, can you explain a little bit of how you underwrite this in comparison to a multifamily?
2: The short answer is it's underwritten just like new construction apartments. I think underwriting new construction is a completely different beast from under underwriting value add. So in, you know, you either need to go take a class and here's the problem, right? There's a million guys teaching value add multifamily underwriting, a million people, right? And they, I think they all do a pretty decent job, right? So I, I you know, there's there's a lot of help there. But underwriting new construction, there aren't any classes available. There are some guys that basically do underwriting for a living or run underwriting you know, services. And those guys from time to time provide classes where you can go in and, and take these classes. I don't have an easy answer to your question, Ruben, except to say BTR would not be underwritten any different from new construction multifamily. But new construction multifamily, if you've ever seen a proforma, it's very different from a value-add proforma. It's not those, impossible. It's just more complex.
1: And for those listening, we, we've got a model that we've created. And if you're interested in taking a look at it, you know, reach out to us. I, I got a question about this because I've, I, you know, we've had conversations at various conferences. And I remember speaking with you, I, I think it was about a year ago. And we talked about maybe very bearish on kind of what's happening because there's some cert- uncertainty with the interest rates. Definitely some uncertainty with multifamily projects, right? I think you were putting on the brakes on any new, but I've recently heard you become much more bullish about just the economy in general. And Mm -hmm. you, like me, remember what it was like in 2008. If we were to listen to everybody, the market didn't come back till 11 or 12, but there were a lot of us making some money in 2009 because as you just mentioned, Blackstone was one of them where they basically bought up all these scattered sites right, and figured out how to buy 50 cents, 40 cents on the dollar.
2: Well, so Black Neal was about- buying one property a month in 2008 right. because nobody would believe me. And my family actually prevented me from going to parties because they thought that I would infect other you know, people <laughs> in the family and they would lose all of their money. So for 2008 <laughs> and 2009, I was not allowed to attend family events. <laughs> and they, they all regret it now. And they, they're honest enough to say it. But you know, in that time frame when I was banned, I was like, "Well, if I'm not going to go to parties, I'm going to go uh, to open houses, and I ended up buying you know more than a dozen of them. So bottom line is that, yes, andy, the the honest answer is this for built to rent right now, i'll I'll just be very blunt and say this, okay? I don't think this is a great time to build built built to rent or any kind of new construction project anywhere in the United States because you've got very, very high construction costs and very, very high interest rates. So what should I be doing? Well, this is an incredible time to be doing what is known as land banking or land squatting. And my favorite is land banking or land squatting for BTR, right? But you could simply apply every comment I'm making to new construction apartments. You could apply that to hotels. You could apply it to anything that requires new construction. Land banking and land squatting are two different a strategies. Land banking is common, land squatting is advanced. Land banking is a process of basically, you know, putting land in contract at lower prices and, and offering low balls. Let me explain. Today, multi-if you were wanted to buy a multifamily property and you'd probably get a 20% discount from peak, right? But nowhere in the United States are you going to be able to get a property that's 30% discount from peak. Right, So then the range of discounts is gonna be pretty narrow. You might get a 15% discount, you might get 20, and maybe if you're lucky, you might get 25. So that range is pretty narrow, 15 to 25% discount from peak, which was in late 2021, early 2022, three and a half cap. Land is not like that. And most people do not understand this. When interest rates go up to this level or close to this level, land becomes completely illiquid. Land's worthless. It has no cash flow. It still has property taxes, so it becomes worthless. So when you when these conditions happen, land becomes discounted, very highly discounted. And here's the cool thing: the discount percentage varies a lot. So you can get twenty to fifty-five percent off. Well, in, that's just been my recent experience. Twenty to fifty-five percent off on land during this time. And look at that range, right? I said for multifamily, fifteen to twenty-five. Here I'm saying it's, it's 20% off to 55% off. So land becomes extremely cheap and the range is very wide. So it makes a lot of sense to do low balls. Whereas low balls will get you a band with, with multifamily you know, brokers, if you basically low balled it and said, I want this piece of land for 40% or 50, or this property for 40 or 50%, they won't work with you again. In land, land brokers are not like that. They will take any offer, no matter how low, to the seller, okay? So it's perfectly okay to throw ridiculous low balls out there. I currently am bidding 50 to 60% below the prices of 18 months ago. And that is land banking. And you wanna get as, as many months as you can before you go hard on money. I'm currently underwriting, uh, if it's a zoned piece of land, I, I take four months before I have to you know go hard on money. If it's non-zoned, then I take six right? And because I'm making such a humongously large number of offers every month, every week, I don't care that I have a a win-loss ratio of 100 to 1 or 50 to 1. Because what I'm doing is not land banking, it's the advanced strategy of land squatting. Land squatting is where you take the four to six months for your money to go hard. But then you put a clause in there that says, I now have another 12 months after that, And during those 12 months, if the city does not approve, the city does not approve my zoning, I get my money back. Now, as you can imagine land squatting is much more difficult than land banking because now the seller says, oh, that means you could basically not buy this property for up to a year and a half. The answer is yes. The truth is it's probably gonna take a lot less time. That's what you're doing to convince the seller. You're saying, look, normally it takes us about three or four months to figure out the the zoning thing. It takes us about you know seven or eight months to figure out the city, and then we go ahead and buy it because we want to get started with our syndication and get paid. So you convince them that way. Most of them are not; they don't fall for it. They're like, no, 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 no. You know, I, I want, I don't want you know more than six months total timeline. And I go, okay, well in that case, goodbye. I can't say that eighteen months ago because people would laugh at me. But today, every twentieth or thirtieth buyer says. Okay, 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 come back, come back. Just give me a little bit more hard money, do it. So I just signed an LOI for a piece of land on the purchase and sale agreement. I had to put down $15,000. And after six months, I'll put down another 15,000. So that's 30,000 hard. And then I have 12 months after that to close. So for 18 months, I'm using $30,000 to squat on 10 acres of land, which is sufficient to build 130 units. This strategy is called land squatting. And it gets me beyond all of the interest rate issues, all of the construction cost issues, all of the LTV, LTC issues. That's what I'm busy doing. Squatting on land all across the United States.
1: That's amazing. Hey, Vinny, do you have to do you have to jump?
3: Yeah, I have to go. I just wanted to say thanks so much. You know, I think the build to rent I've also heard. I know a couple of my other good friends are also building in Florida townhouses and all these products have stopped. The where I'm finding a lot of opportunities in the hotels, as some of you might know, we're building from scratch. We are buying hotels today. We bought a hotel for 10 million eight to build it. It's going to be $18 million. So we got the loan, 70, 30 loan. We got it 6.5% loan. So, you know, there are opportunities out there, right? Brand new. Holiday Inn Express. The other one is the assisted living. I was going to say, Neil, you know, finding the land to build assisted living because the numbers are amazing in assisted living. It's built to rent on a hyper because you're able to charge $4,000 to $10,000. The one in Scottsdale, I'm converting a comfort suites hotel to senior assisted living. The next door is charging $10,000 a month. 10,000. And we are t- taking our assumption at only 6,500. Still, we are making huge, huge returns. So those are the two I was going to mention. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Great stuff. You always, uh, I always love hearing about what you're doing. Next time we'll have you talk about, uh, I mean, you're smiling, whether it's a down market or up market, so I'm not sure <laughs> it's convincing all the time, but but I would like to have you on talking just about your outlook. Of, we'll bring you know, we'll what's, bring Danny back for
3: sure. Sure, sure. No, I'm in the blue ocean. I say that. You know, red ocean is very competitive, multifamily. I've sold most everything. I've got only five assets left, which are very big ones now. 50 million, 40 million, all that. But, you know, the retrading is going on right now. Right now. I lost 4.5 million. In just few weeks, just because the insurance cost has gone through the roof, so yeah. all these you know other places, I just feel like it's time to pivot a little bit, and you can all pivot along with you know me and others and everything. I know Neil is amazing. The key thing is it's the blue ocean, the assisted living, RAL, also the commercial. I should say I say instead of RAL, it's MEL. Multifamily family assisted living is the new term in my book. You know, the big thing is it's a huge runway for everybody for next 30 years.
0: Yeah. That's a nice hat. I love Budapest.
3: <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You know, and also, I mean, again, if I may say a little bit, everybody listening, hospitality has taken a big, big, I mean, it's it's back to even bigger than pre-pandemic because everything went down. Nobody came out of their homes for so many because they didn't want to get killed and, you know, and spread the disease and all COVID. But now it's the ADRs, average daily rates are at its peak, double, triple average daily rates in the hospitality and occupancy has gone up like crazy in the tourist attractive places, you know, tourism. So that's where we are very, very excited to build and also buy, you know, yeah. Awesome, Vinny. Neil,
0: tell us, so are, are you, did you complete your, your process on the capital raise for your new Brunsville's project? How did you sell that one?
2: The project is a three-phase project. So we've completed the raise for the first phase, which was about 18 months ago, and the second phase, which we were working on now. So there's a third phase that needs to be done but we're not in a hurry on that because that money is really not needed by the bank until next year. New Brunfelds is a 128 unit townhome community, all the way from two bedrooms to three bedrooms and four bedroom units.
1: Andy, I was question say, you, you know, This is really important because I think there's a lot of uh, the audience that's capital raisers. And I thought you had just an incredible description of why we're dropping the ball every time that we talk to an investor about that investor that's kind of proud of itself for investing in a money market or kind of proud of itself for investing in the stock market. What would you tell the capital raisers that are here about the conversation they need to be having with their investors about the state that we're in with inflation and all the rest?
2: I think the best thing to attack is that is that money market. So today, most people can make five percent on money markets. So you hear from investors, I was making zero percent before. Now I can make five percent. And so this is the right thing for me to do. That is a very nonsensical idea. This is a most a ridiculous concept and idea. When you had inflation at one and a half percent in the United States, you were making zero percent in the bank. So you were making, minus one and a half percent compared to inflation, right? Today, inflation is at six and a half percent and you're making 5% in the bank. So you're making one and a half percent minus. Nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing has changed. You're still making one and a half percent less because of inflation. Inflation is still reducing the value of your assets by the same one and a half percent, right? But somehow magically you think that you're better off. This is not a way an investor makes decisions. All investors in the United States that are not speculators, all investors anywhere in the world say, my return must be inflation-adjusted positive. Because if it's inflation-adjusted negative, I'm losing net worth. And 99.99% of all investors that are putting money into money market today are inflation-adjusted net worth. None of those people are actually investors. They're all speculators. Speculators put money in when everyone is putting money in. These are the people that... 24 months ago, 18 months ago, put money into three cap properties. And now, of course, those properties are not doing well. Many of them are doing cash calls. All these kinds of things are happening in, in the marketplace. And they're feeling bad about what they did back then. And so now they're not ready to invest. And I want to say to all of these people, if you're not a speculator, why wouldn't you invest today? Sure. Prices and, and multifamily is a good example. There's many other examples. Many gave you those. Yeah. Multifamily today is on average 22% cheaper than it was. For the same net operating income, this is important. For the same NOI, multifamily is 20 to 22% cheaper. Where people before were underwriting 4% rent growth, today they're underwriting 2%. Mm-hmm. Where people before were underwriting an exit of four and a half cap, now they're underwriting an exit of five cap. Mm-hmm. So everyone is more rational. Everyone is, is today in a better position. Why are investors not investing? But that's because they're not investors. They're speculators. Speculators follow the horde. They don't. They can't do contrarian thinking. They love to think that they're contrarian. They love to say the famous Warren Buffett quote, which is, "When everyone's greedy, be fearful. When everyone's fearful, be greedy." Right now, everyone's fearful. This is a time to be greedy. So, mm-hmm. you know, unlike Vinny, I don't think that multifamily is going to be red ocean for long. I think it's been red ocean for the last. 18 months i think it's still red ocean i think by q3 or q4 you're going to see this this cross cut i call it the cross cut the cross cut is when you have cap rates still rising and interest rates beginning to drop drop down so yeah that point that point at which there's a cut between these two is the point where you want to buy every asset that you possibly can And bridge lending will return for multifamily in Q1 of next year, because most people think that bridge lending will not come back until interest rates are low. Well, that's because you don't study finance. Bridge lending has nothing to do with high interest rates. You can have robust bridge lending, even if you have 10% interest rates, 20%, 30%. Bridge lending goes away when people are not sure about the direction of rates, Direction, upward, downward. That's what affects bridge lending. In an environment where rates are going to be either flat or going downwards, you can get bridge loans, right? Because lenders are feeling good about that environment. In the same exact way, as I said, bridge loans will come back in Q1 next year. Cheap rate caps will come back in Q1 next year. Once again, most people are like, as long as interest rates are high, rate caps are going to be expensive. That's complete and utter nonsense. Study finance. Rate cap pricing has nothing to do with interest rates. It has to do with direction of interest rates. When interest rates are going up, rate caps are expensive. When interest rates are going down, even if they're going down slowly, rate caps are cheap. So anyone that thinks that rate caps are still gonna cost a million or $2 million 12 months from now, doesn't understand basic finance and and doesn't understand how the sellers of rate cap are actually pricing them. Their fear is not that interest rates will stay high. Their fear fear is they will go higher. So the moment the Federal Reserve cuts interest rates once, one time, just quarter point, one time, probably will happen in February, March. At that point, rate cap costs collapse Mm -hmm. because now rates are going downwards and anyone selling a rate cap is in the money instead of now where they're out of the money. They've been paying up for these two years, right? They've been paying out to you because you had a rate cap. They're paying out Ruben, they're paying out Andy, they're paying out Minnie. Everyone's getting money from the rate cap people. Yeah. But the moment the rates start to go in the downward direction, you're paying them and they're not paying anything back. <laughs> you see what I mean? So here's what is, what is likely to happen. And this is going back to your question, Andy, right? I'm trying to answer the question in a, in a full way. I don't expect cap rates for multifamily to decompress any time in the next nine months, maybe 12 months, but n- not in the next nine months, because cap rates are a trailing indicator of the cycle. Basically, what that means is cap rates are just late, okay? Rate caps and bridge loans are leading indicators. They are just quickly. So I expect that bridge lending will make its return in Q1 or Q2 of next year. Rate Cheap rate caps will make their return in Q1 or Q2 of next year, but you will still see at that point of time, here's the cool stuff. This is, this is very important. Write it down if you want to. You will still see higher cap rates in Q1 and Q2 than you do now because cap rates are trailing indicators. And they will continue to go upwards, meaning cheaper properties, while rate caps are getting cheaper and bridge lending is getting cheaper. So you have a window of opportunity, I call it Q1, Q2, and Q3, where you've got On the lending side, things are all of a sudden looking better. On the rate cap side, things are looking better. But you're still getting properties that are cheaper than a quarter or two before because of the trailing nature of cap rates. Now, by Q4 of this year, maybe Q1 of next year, you now might start to see cap rates compress again and prices start to go up. But I don't expect that to happen in the next year. What is going to make it harder for prices to stabilize and cap rates to stabilize is, is two things. Number one, 2,500 distressed multifamily properties of which half have to be sold next year in 2024 and then half have to be sold the following year. So there's a lot of supply. Second, new construction supply. We have 425,000 units units delivering this year, nearly 400,000 delivering next year. That's gonna keep a pressure on rents. Pressure on rents means pressure on prices, right? So bottom line is multifamily is a red ocean. Bini Chopra said it. I agree with him. The ocean is going to turn blue or purple in Q1 and Q3 and start to turn blue in Q3 and Q4 of next year. So prepare for that
1: and tell your investors about it. And by the way, that 2,500 units, we're talking about out of, what, 100, 105, 110,000 units, right? So we're talking about that's this kind of compressed inventory that if you can be buying now, Fantastic. It's not, we're not in a situation as everybody thinks that if those 2,500 units and we say that's maybe a little more, maybe a little less, that is doom and gloom. We're talking about this compressed yeah. amount of properties, right, that are exposed. And that's exactly.
2: The so so there, are, there are 19.7 million units in CoStar. Let's assume that those 19.7 million units, all of those properties are 200 units, just to make the math easy. Right. That means you have 101,000 multifamily properties. Of them, about 3,000 are at risk, and that's 3%. That's what people don't get, because no, like no one in the industry can answer my question when I say how many multifamily properties are in the United States over 150 units. Nobody knows, right? But what I do know, and by the way, I don't know the answer to that question because I've never seen it published. But I know that there's 19.7 million apartment units. Why? because Yardi Matrix uses that number and so does CoStar, right? So they're both looking, and and I I don't think they're counting super small properties because they never look at them, right? So of the institutional grade stuff that we buy 50 units and above, those properties, there's about 20 million units. Assuming they're all 200 units, there's 100,000 properties, and there's 3,000 properties in trouble. So you have to understand that this trouble means, trouble doesn't mean contagion. Trouble doesn't mean the kind of crash that we saw in 2008. Trouble means downward pressure on prices and nervousness from lenders. And we're dealing with both of those right now.
1: Awesome. Ruben, I, I, I think we... Probably
4: have some questions, but... I I have a follow-up question for Neil. I mean, this is like such an informative session for me. And I really love your insight, Neil, always whenever I listen to you, even I watch your videos too every now and then. So you've been talking about this BTR community and then you, I mean, I love your data, you know, you're data oriented. And then you did all the calculations and you came up with this income group, 60 to 75K. You say, these are the people who are basically renting or the tenants for the BTR community. So, but this BTR community, I, and I think a lot of people fall into this category, 75, 60 to 75 K, maybe majority of it in today's date, I would assume because a lot of families are, both partners are working. And my question to you is with this asset class, you know, rapidly gaining the traction or the popularity, how is going to impact the multifamily apartment buildings you know, with the value on it. Because here you're getting a new facility to live and more room uh, in the front and the back with the families versus the apartment buildings.
2: I don't see any impact at all on class B and class C properties. Remember that there's 350 units of new construction. Almost all of that is class A Winky, right? Almost nobody builds class B buildings Mm -hmm. anymore. Everyone builds class A. So out of those 350,000 per year, about 50,000 are going to be BTR. Mm-hmm. So now we're reducing, and some of those same builders that were building apartments are the builders that are now building BTR. So they're just switching over. So what's happening, is, and, and some builders are building both apartments and BTR, right? So hopefully if the market doesn't get oversaturated, what's happening is BTR is taking a 50,000 unit every year chunk out of the class A marketplace. And because BTR rents are at the same price as Class A apartments or a little bit higher, usually $100 higher, it only competes with the Class A market. Why would there be a Class B or Class C competition? Now you might say, well, what happens when these units get older? Well, the short answer is a 20-year-old townhome community is no different from the townhome communities that you and I are already buying in value add. We're already buying them. I'm my, The property that I'm buying this Thursday, right? Two days from now is Park Avenue Villas. It's a 1984 built townhome. I don't call it BTR because nobody else does, right? It's just it's just an apartment complex that has townhomes. We know this, right? I mean, anybody that has saw here that has sold a townhome community from 30 years ago, you never put BTR in your offering memorandum because nobody would, people would laugh at you, right? So at some point, Vinky, BTR just is apartments with townhomes, but not when they're new. When they're new, they're on their own, own asset class, right? When they get older, 20 years from now, they'll just basically become a class B apartment complex with townhomes. So the impact to multifamily value add is fairly minimal. The impact to class A apartment construction is significant because that 50,000 unit per year chunk is coming out of existing apartment construction. Hmm. But I don't think it's a big deal because it's the same builders that are saying, I used to build four apartment complexes a year. Now I'm gonna build three apartment complexes in one BTR that's what's really happening. The same people, the same builders are just building BTR now as part of their overall portfolio. I think we got It's not time a replacement for, one... for apartments. I think yeah. we've
4: got time for one more question.
2: Yep, yeah, I definitely time. have to jump off in, in, in a few minutes.
4: Thanks, Neil. And then just a follow-up question was, you know, from the investor perspective, you know, what would they prefer, you know, investing in a BTR or the multifamily? Because everybody's talking about all the years, multifamily, 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 you know, so people are kind of kind of tuned to invest in multifamily, all of a sudden this new asset class pops up, BTR. So uh, you were talking about only convincing the investors to, you know, like talking about the Warren Buffett's famous quote as well. Like people are already scared and that's new with new asset class popping up. How do you convince your investors to invest into BTR compared to multifamily?
2: The, the BTR is multifamily. You, you must convince people of that. You have 100 or 150 townhomes. Everyone's a renter. All of them are in one places. Which part of this is not multifamily? It's just townhome multifamily. Binky, it is multifamily, okay? You go to CoStar, click on multifamily. So CoStar has, you know, hotel, self-storage, multifamily. Click on multifamily, go to any state in the US and sort. You'll see the BTR properties right there. hmm there isn't a separate dropdown in CoStar that says multifamily and then below that BTR. Nothing like that exists. Right? Good. Built yeah. to rent is is multifamily.
4: Just a fancy name, horizontal multifamily, I guess.
2: <laughs> horizontal multifamily or built to rent, you know, built-to-rent essentially is look, we're, you know, we're giving them a home-like look, but in the end, they're renting. It's an apartment complex.
4: That's true.
0: Nice work. Thank Thanks. You. Mm-hmm. all right we're, we're gonna cut out here neil dude it's always so good to see you man i know that we didn't talk we didn't get a chance to go into you know like the times that you were stuck in the principal's office as a kid next time we'll touch on that but man i really appreciate you coming on man this has been a blast and i look forward to sending this out to my audience on the capital razor show so thanks, thanks
1: i think so much, there dude. should be a study neil maybe that's one of the you can put your 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 data room because i know you have this huge data room how many what's the percentage of Entrepreneurs in general that had a higher rate of being in the principal's office. I bet you it's pretty high for entrepreneurs and real estate. I wouldn't
2: be surprised at all. I wouldn't be surprised. I think that entrepreneurs are norm breakers by default. Hmm. And the problem with school is there's too many norms. So I Hmm. am. I really actually enjoyed my time in the principal office because the principal liked me and you didn't really sit in the principal's office. You sat sat in the that that area right outside where, you know, the the assistant sat and you'd go there and you sit and you sort of grin at the assistants and the principal would wink at you as he as he went by. Right. Uh, uh, Yeah. I spent a lot of time on that bench. Winky's like nodding because she's like, yeah, I know the Indian schools are like that.
1: (laughs) Great stuff, man. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Take us out, Andy. Yes. Well, thank you all for joining us. It's always uh, fantastic to hear wisdom from our mad scientists. And thanks, Benny, for coming in and adding your more than two cents, right? You've always got something great to say, but always a pleasure being with you, brother, Ruben. Thank you for having us on your show. Rock and roll. Peace and strength, my friends. Legacy Acquisitions.